everyone. Welcome back to Motherkind, the show that's going to help you navigate the massive challenges of life as a modern mother with more clarity, confidence and ease. This week, we are talking self-care. Yes, that newly branded huge industry that bombards us with messages every day about what we quote unquote should be doing. Well, fear not because Laura Mishkin and Nicole Goodman called the self-care club. And they have tested hundreds of self-care tools and practices and share the ones that actually work. They say that real self-care isn't about all those fancy products, although sometimes lovely as they are. Real self-care is about valuing yourself. It's about valuing yourself enough to rest when you need to, to say no, to challenge that inner critic. They say most importantly, Real self-care is free. It doesn't cost a penny and it often is invisible to others. It's often about changing our mindset. I'm so excited for you to hear this episode. Here, out of the hundreds of ideas that Lauren and Nicole have tested, the ones that have had the biggest impact on their lives and the ones that haven't worked at all. I know you're going to love this episode. Here it is. Welcome, ladies. I'm so excited to chat to you this morning about self-care. I've been listening and I love the concept of what you're doing because it's so fascinating, isn't it? Self-care just wasn't this term sort of 10, 15 years ago. And now it can feel like another thing to beat ourselves up about if we're not doing it right. That is exactly how the podcast came about because we were having a moan about how self-care had become another job for women. And if you just got 20 minutes to look after yourself or you want to implement something to make you feel good, where on earth do you start? Because it's such a diluted industry now. And all the advice is conflicting. And so what we wanted to do was take all of that hard work away from women and to be able to just so they can just support themselves immediately and get on with what actually makes them feel better. So important, isn't it? I hear that loads from mothers. They'll be like, I get half an hour to myself, and then I spend the first 25 minutes of that half an hour feeling overwhelmed about how to best use the half an hour. I do that as well sometimes. I'm like, Shall I read? Shall I go on a walk? Oh, no, maybe I should meditate. Maybe I should journal. And then suddenly I'm like, Oh, shit, I need to go back to the kids now. (laughs) (laughs) That's about right. Yeah, I think you summed it up in one. I'm so excited to hear because you guys have been like doing us basically a national service, testing out all of these. uh, We've put the graft in, it's true. Yeah, we have. Let's start with from each of you individually, because I know something that's also incredible is both of you find things different in terms of how helpful they are. So tell me what are the things that you have tried that have been the most transformative in, I guess, the shortest times you test things out for a week, don't you? I think a lot of people assume that when we talk about what we're testing, they are physical products. And we have done lots of those, crystal face rollers, shakti mats, menstrual cups, period mats, all the sort of practical self-care stuff. Some of that's been great. And a few of those bits we have continued to use in our lives, but they've not been particularly life transformative. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. The things that we have found that have made a genuine difference are the mental practices, which Nicole sort of I don't want to use the word coerce, but let's say encourages me into, and I don't want to do them. And then at the end of the week, we often find I've actually 
gained even more from them than you have. Yes, I'm sitting here rolling my eyes because that's exactly how it goes. She's also very reluctant to do the physical practices, but we can talk about that later. And what we mean by mental practices is the things that you can just put into place with how you think differently or how you process something differently or how you perceive something differently, like learning how to say no. So we did a whole week of really activating our no and working out what we're saying yes to. We get so caught up in saying no and disappointing others and not being likable or not being accepted or not being this picture perfect good girl. And we get very caught up in that. So we find it very hard to say no. But actually what we're doing in that is we're saying yes to something else. So our focus was what are we saying yes to by implementing this really important, empowering no. And to put that into context, because I'm a birth doula, so I spend a lot of time with babies and brand new mums and parents. And there is this thing, especially with first time mums, that the second you get home from the hospital, the first thing everyone wants to do is invite everybody they've ever met and their neighbour and their cousin over to meet the baby. And I feel quite passionately, actually, that you should just be saying no, because the baby isn't going anywhere. And actually, those first few days to have a baby moon and be together and settle in and establish breastfeeding, if that's what you're planning to do, is absolutely vital. And I think there's this pressure on new parents to feel that they have to have everyone over, they have to host, they have to make tea. And it's not really the time. So that's a sort of good example of where the no can be powerful because what you're saying yes to is, yes, I'd like us to bond as a brand new family. Yes, I'd like to take time to rest and recover from childbirth. Yes, I'd like to figure out how we're doing this before we invite other people into our space. And when you were practicing saying those no's, What came up for you? Did you bump against your good girl conditioning? Did you worry about what other people were going to think? Because that's what I hear a lot of. It's like, if I say no, is that person going to like me? Or if I say no to that opportunity, I get this with work. Am I ever going to get that again? Like that scarcity thinking. Tell me what you learned, what you bumped up against. Exactly that, what you've just highlighted. And it was really scary. I actually can't remember the examples that we had at the times we did it. I mean, it must have been well over a year ago now, but I still use it. I'm still using it. I've always been quite good at saying no in terms of my work, but in my personal life, not so much. Like things like saying no to my husband if he wants me to do something or my kids, I find that much more challenging. Or if my girlfriends, you know, they want me to go out for dinner and I'm actually really tired. I find it really hard to say no because I want to be a good friend. But actually... It was the yes. It's what am I saying yes to? Actually, I'm not going to go out for that dinner because I'm going to say yes to an early night. And I can say that and I can choose that with love. So I can say to them, thank you so much for this lovely invite. I really want to see you, but I have got to have an early night because I'm exhausted. When else can we see each other? So that's still a no, but it's a compassionate no. It's an understanding no. It doesn't have to be aggressive or brash because I think that also gets caught up in the mix, doesn't it? Well, if I say no, I'm going to be perceived as aggressive. Well, you can still do it, but do it kindly. And it's kindness for the other person and also kindness, most importantly, for yourself. And it was about taking the pause. It was about not saying yes immediately. It was about thinking, do I have the capacity for this right now? Do I have the energy for this right now? Is it actually something that I want to do? So rather than just the automatic yes, you say, can I just get back to you tomorrow? You pause, you have a little space to think about it. And then if it's a no, the answer isn't no. The answer is, (laughs) I actually can't do that this week. How about we do it 
next week. So it's offering an alternative, but an alternative that works for you. You know, something that I still find quite hard is when you don't want to do it next week either. Like it's just a no. Then you're leading into the how to have a difficult conversation, which is how we kicked off our new series. And wow, that was a toughie, wasn't it? That was with um, lovely Clemmie, wasn't it? Clemmie Telford. Yes, it was. And it's hard. But what we learned that week is that sometimes you have to go through that uncomfortable, icky, yucky feeling in order to get to something that is really good and that it's worth it. This is something that Clemmie brought, which I thought was so insightful. It's a 20-minute discomfort. That uncomfortable conversation could last 20 minutes, half an hour, versus potentially months of resentment because you're doing something you don't want to do. And I loved how she just highlighted that because actually, okay, so I can go through this 20 minutes. I really don't want to go through three months of being annoyed at myself because I've agreed to do something I don't want to do. Or feeling resentful towards that person or harboring resentment yourself. It's not a good place to sit with. I wonder if you guys have learned this. I think podcasting is an amazing place to learn this as well, because you must get it too. Like I get pitched so many guests, so many people like, oh, let's meet for coffee. I want to talk to you about it. At the start, I would do all that because I was just like so flattered. that, (laughs) And I've really had to learn to say, just no, like you said, it's not in the future. I'm not going to give someone false hope or kick the can down the road to make the conversation easier. And I love what you say about it's just that 20 minutes of sitting through the discomfort as opposed to that resentment building, mainly for ourselves. It's mainly for me. I'm like, oh, why did I do that again? Yes, totally. I've got a new one actually that I use and I definitely put this in my self-care toolbox. So if someone sends an email, like what you're saying to pitch onto our show or it comes through our DMs and they want to, whatever, they want to collaborate in some way. And I think to myself, oh, I must get back to that person. But then you know, that accumulates. And then then there's a lot of people to get back to. And that already becomes another job. And it's another thing to do. And it's another half an hour of admin that actually, you don't need because it's not part of what you need in your day. And I now say to myself, do I owe this person anything? Do I know them? I don't owe them a response. It's very nice of them to get back to me, but I don't need to take time out of my day and add extra work and extra admin in to get back to them. It's their choice to contact me. And I'm actually really strict about that. That might sound harsh to some people, but I don't owe anybody that I don't know anything. And if they want to pop up in my inbox, that's great. And if I want to respond, I will. I feel the same. And also it's the same with like WhatsApps and class WhatsApps and all of that. If I reply to everything coming at me, that would be my full-time job. I wouldn't create anything. I wouldn't be able to serve, you know, and live what I want to put out in the world and do, you know, be present with my kids and all the, I would just be sat there responding to WhatsApps and DMs and emails and, and messages. Glennon Doyle's amazing on this. Have you listened to her podcast? She's got an amazing episode so called Why Texts Aren't the Boss of Me. And she basically doesn't reply to any messages. <laughs> and I just love that. I found that really transformative. I don't think I've listened to that, but she talks about it a lot, about how friends will text her. And then when she eventually texts them back, and then they text her back, she's like, I've got to text you back again. Hold on, I've just done all the work. And I found that so interesting. She's right. Just because they text you doesn't mean you have to respond but we get very caught up in this doing the right thing being the right kind of person being polite the manners thing it gets and now because we're so accessible all the time it's out of control if you allow it to be so is that really you know what we've talked about some of what self-care isn't a little bit and I just love that you're saying actually it's not buying that 
hundred pound crystal face roller, although lovely if you want it, but actually that's not going to change your life is a core part of what your real definition of self-care is, is then, you know, I'm hearing boundaries, I'm hearing mindset, I'm hearing self-worth. Is that really what self-care is to you? Yeah, it's taking care of yourself and in an authentic way, not in a way because Gwyneth does it so you feel pressured to do it or not because your best friend does it and she loves it so you have to do it. What makes you feel better? Where are you struggling? What do you need to improve in your life for you to feel happier and more content and more at ease and well and that is going to look different for every single woman and Lauren and I are complete examples of that because what she finds helpful and useful in her life I don't particularly and vice versa I go to the gym six days a week Lauren doesn't like to go to the gym but I like to read endlessly and I don't so my first of call with my self-care is to go and move and to exercise and Lauren is to sit down on the couch and read now that very different energies but both completely helpful supportive nurturing wonderful wonderful practices both of them but they just work completely differently but they serve the same purpose which is an escape and a relaxation and brings us back to ourselves right it's something that's just for us you know we've got five kids between us we're busy we're really busy everyone needs that little something whatever it is and there's no judgment on that and it might be real housewives and by the way we both also absolutely love that and sometimes that's a little hour of self-care in a week oh. and there's no reality tv is life surely <laughs> <laughs> and i think what you're saying is so important because particularly in the content age that we're living in like i keep having to remind myself and you know my community of this is that 20 years ago mothers did not have all this content bombarded at us you know you open your instagram and you'll basically have people shouting at you telling you how to do it right I love what you're saying, which is really the first step to any self-care is figuring out what you need. How does someone do that? I mean, you guys obviously have the privilege of doing that publicly. And how does someone do that for themselves? Do they have to go and try out lots of different things? Or are there ways that someone can figure that out? I think they have to look for the gaps. I think they have to look for the places in their life where they're struggling. Is there something physical that they feel they need to do? Do they feel they need to move or there's something physical they like to try and it's really calling to them or do they really really struggle with their boundaries and is that something they need to practice or do they find the mornings horrendously chaotic trying to get ready for work and get the kids ready for school and sort the house out do they need to put in a power hour first thing in the morning and get those chores out I think it's a case of just taking a moment to think about where are you at yeah and we always refer back to sort of the pillars of wellness so the fundamentals of where your wellness lies or where it doesn't like how are you sleeping how much water have you drunk are you eating well enough have you been mindful today how much are you moving literally taking it stripping it right back to the basics of your wellness needs and start from there And I think with a lot of mothers, it may come down to the simple one of asking for help, which sounds so simple. But actually, there are so many women and mums who don't want to, don't like to, feel guilty, feel like it makes them look like they're not coping well. But we carry such a huge mental load, you know, and we're still doing, mothers who work are still doing 70% of the childcare and the household chores. And that's a lot for one person. So 
asking for help, getting help, and just sharing the mental load is huge. You know, we did a week on asking for help. Yeah. And we struggled. What well, you struggled more than I did. You I really did. Struggled. You did. Because Lauren was very caught up in the if I ask for help, people will think I can't cope. Or people will think I haven't got it all together, which was great. Not great, but it was great for you to bring it to the show because there's so many people that would resonate with that. Yeah. And actually, we did two back to back. We did a week of asking for help and a week for asking for what you want. And I would say that they are two practices that I have taken with me because now that we've practiced asking for what you want, because, mm. you know, women famously are not brilliant at admitting to themselves what they want, let alone asking for it. We have got so much more hustle in us, haven't oh, we? Oh, yeah. We are now like, we'll just ask. We're like, you don't ask, you don't get. You don't. That's what it boils down to. And the worst that can happen is they don't respond. And that's or they it. say no. And, and then you're no worse off. So those two things, especially for motherhood, especially in self-care, especially in life, are absolutely imperative to living well. And also what you were saying before about how you know, mothers are bombarded by stuff online. I also think looking at it, because I had my first baby 18 years ago and I go, you know, round to new parents' houses and the stuff, the kit, monitor the baby's heartbeat in the cot, this white sheet, all this stuff, this stuff did not exist. And do you know what? Babies were fine and so were mums. And I think sometimes you've got to strip this back because I think a lot of this stuff actually makes new mothers lose their confidence and what mothers need is mothering instincts and that is within you you know you have the baby and no one will ever know that baby the way you know that baby you can look at them and know they're not well any of my kids still you look at their eyes and got that funny look and you know oh they're under the weather you don't need some gadget to tell you that and I do wonder if all of this stuff all of these products all of this stuff that we're told that we have to buy and have to have and this consumerism is taking us away from just the basics of being a mum and how to do that. It's such an interesting conversation, isn't it? Because I think part as well of being able to tap into that knowledge that we have of what we need, we need space and time to do that. And I feel like our lives are busier than ever. And if you're always running, of course, you're going to need the device to tell you that because you're not taking the stillness to tune in, right? You need five minutes to figure out what's going on. I wanted to talk about time because that's something that I hear about, as I'm sure you do, constantly, like particularly, you know, working mothers, as you said, we're still doing all the invisible labor. We've got, you know, all this tech, you know, time has never been more precious. I would argue never been more needed to take time for ourselves. But I think it's so linked to worth, isn't it? Because what I hear lots of mothers say is, I know that taking, like you were sharing, Lauren, you know, I know that reading really supports me, but actually when I have some time to do it, I feel so guilty that I can see the dishes in the sink and I'm just sat here reading a book. And that inner critic can really get loud for mothers, I think. Me too. You know, who do you think you are to be lying on the sofa when your kid's uniform isn't clean, your dinner's not done, and you're, how do you square that circle? That's a hard one. I think it's about value. And it's about how you want to show up in your home, in your life, with your family, with your kids, with your friends, with whoever. If you are going to do the dishes and do the laundry and make sure everything's done and do your work and be the parent and make home-cooked meals and do all of it and be depleted at the end of it, actually, you're not very valuable anywhere because you're just going to be a bit ratty and a bit shouty and a bit short-tempered and no one wants the short-tempered 
mother, wife, friend, no one wants that. But if it means that sitting down for half an hour whilst all that chaos is around, you go into a different room. And if it means that by the end of that half an hour that you've been reading a book, that you are calm and measured and centered and content, and that's how you start to show up in the space with your kids, with your friends, with your husband, then that's much more valuable. And we look to our husbands for this as well, because as much as we may often have the moan, oh my God, I can't believe he's just sitting down reading the paper (laughs) when there's all this to do. What we're actually saying, what we're really saying is, I'm actually a bit jealous that he feels it's okay to do that because that's really what I want to do. So it's not really the resentment on them. It's really your own feeling of that's what I need. And I can't give that to myself because of some sort of pressure that I have to be the one doing everything before I'm allowed to sit down. Sometimes you need to sit down before you can get on with everything else. Yes. Where do you think that difference comes from? Why do you think men find it so much easier to engage in, you know, quote unquote, self-care, whatever we call it. I don't know if the word's important as opposed to women who have that guilt. I ask my husband about this all the time. Don't you feel guilty? He's like, no, I don't feel guilty. He doesn't understand my experience. I think I'm really sorry if this is a terrible generalization, but men are a little more self-serving and it is just maybe because they are not the ones physically carrying a baby, birthing a baby, feeding a baby, you know, I think the physical load is a lot less. And like, even now, as my kids are getting much older, I see my husband able to detach, not from his love, but from being the need to parent, parent, parent. It's like, you know, he's 18. He can do X, Y, and Z. And he always says to me, I'm not a mum. That's why I feel like this, because I'm not a mum. And there just is a fundamental difference. As much as we all love to talk about equality and dad's doing everything, we're all the same. We're not the same. The messaging is completely different. The conditioning is completely different. Men are told one thing, women are told another. And then we both behave in that way of what our conditioning is. We are told that we are caretakers and we have to look after everybody else before we look after ourselves. We're nurturers. Yeah. And that's how we then behave in our own lives, that everything has to be done before we can look after ourselves before we can take care of ourselves. We are the last person on the list that gets time. They don't have that messaging in their lives. No, there's a lot of martyrdom in motherhood and there's not really any in fatherhood. You know, it's back to that old cliche of, oh, how do you manage to juggle your job and three children? And no one ever asks of dad that. No one's ever said to my husband, how do you manage to work all day and have three kids? Well, hello, because he's got married to me. That's how he manages. It's such an age-old issue that doesn't really, however progressive we get, it's not really going away anytime soon, is it? So it's on us. It's on women to not necessarily martyr themselves to motherhood, to figure out what they need, what they want, and how to get that. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Athletic Greens. I started taking AG1 from Athletic Greens because I wanted more energy. And now I've been taking it every day for over a year because not only does it give me energy, it's also made my sleep better, my skin better, and I just feel better. I've also made this crazy decision to do a marathon next year. And honestly, I don't think I could do the amount of training that I'm doing without a 
With one delicious scoop of AG1, you are absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. And the special blend of ingredients supports everything, your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, even aging. So to make it easy, Authentic Greens is going to give you a free one year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash motherkind. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash motherkind to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate nutritional daily insurance. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. And therapy is a space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. Therapy is just an incredible, safe non-judgmental space. I absolutely love it. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule, which I think as busy mums is what we all need. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash motherkind today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash motherkind back to the episode you mentioned Nicole about putting ourselves last on the list how do we move ourselves up that list I think this is so innately linked to self-worth and I think you know it's all well and good saying it but actually advocating for your needs and believing that your need to go for a 20-minute walk around the block is more important in that moment than sitting and doing your kids homework I think that's a real pinch point And I think it's really easy to talk about. I think it's actually really hard to do, particularly if you've been talking about conditioning, particularly if, you know, when you were growing up, you modeled something differently, or maybe you got taught your worth is based on your output, your productivity. I think you're breaking a lot of conditioning to be able to do that, aren't you? Yeah, I'm actually really good at prioritizing myself. And it took me years to remove myself of the guilt. The simple truth is, if I don't prioritize myself, I am horrid. I am moody. I am short-tempered. I am screaming at everybody. I am just not a very nice person to be around. So if someone is struggling with this to put themselves first or prioritize themselves in any small way, if they can see it in a way that you are actually helping the other people by prioritizing yourself, you are going to be a nicer, better version of yourself and therefore everyone will enjoy you more and enjoy the energy more when you're all together. If you can't do it for yourself, then maybe they could say to themselves, okay, I'll do it for my family so that I am nicer, calmer, not a shouty. Where's that judgment coming from? So in our episode where we were asking for help, I ended up, I think I was hosting dinner for someone and I bought dessert, which for me was like, I mean, I had to phone you to say to you, (laughs) I bought dessert. You know, it's just not a thing for me because I cook and I love to cook. But you know what? Nobody cared. Nobody judged me. In fact, my husband was happier because I was more relaxed and I had more time. So who's putting all this pressure and judgment on? Mostly you're just doing it to yourself because actually your five-year-old is not going to say, oh, mummy, I can't believe it's seven o'clock and you haven't emptied the dishwasher yet. (laughs) You know, like it's, we do this to ourselves a lot of the time. So it's a case of just trying to unpick 
whose voice is that in your head? Is it your mum saying to you, God, I can't believe the pile of laundry? Where's that voice coming from, that critical voice? It comes a bit back to values and intention. If one of your values is that you are present and connected, I think it's easier than to let go of some stuff like how tidy the house. Some people's values is all about presentation and wanting to be organized. And is it part of that as well, figuring out what's important to us? And for every single person, that's going to be different, right? And then navigating our lives more around that. I think without doing that piece, you're just going to get thrown all over, aren't you? You're going to be sort of just at the mercy of what content you're looking at that day. You can want both. So you can want to be present with your kids and calm with your kids. And you can want to be really organized and have a really tidy home. But it's what do you want in that moment the most? Like what is the most valuable to me now? What intention do I need to put in place for me now? I think that's also really important because both can be important. I want to be both. I I also want to be both. I also want to be both. And sometimes I can't do both. And that's okay too. So it's picking one. Picking which one you want to be. Or finding a way to manage as much of both as you can without overwhelming yourself. So we did a week of the power hour, which is getting... Lo- she loved this. I, I loved did, the power I, hour. I didn't. What, getting up at five? Well, no, what I didn't get up at five. What I did do is get up at the normal time, but dedicated a particular hour to those admin chores. And once the hour was up, my time was up. So it's rather than, oh, well, just order some new uniform and then you get distracted by the Ocado shop and then, oh, the phone rings. And then it's actually sitting down, you turn your phone on silent and then you just get on with those things that you need to be doing for that one hour, focused. And the amount of things you can tick off, they call it eat the frog. So do the worst things those things you've been putting off forever and ever and ever, get them done, tick them off. And you actually, the whole day is set up better because you've done it. The power hour is also set up to do, you could use that hour to read a book or exercise. You could use the hour to go for a run. You can use it however you choose. I mean, Lauren chose it to do the chores around the house and that's fine, but you can use it however you want, but it's just your hour for you. What didn't you like about it, Nicole? I didn't like being told that I have one hour. I didn't like the constraint of it. Like I said before, I'm really good at prioritizing time for myself. So I kind of already did it. I already go to the gym for an hour most mornings. So to find another, and I would then have to walk the dog. So then I'd have to find another hour. It's like, well, hold on a second. At some point, I've got to start work. But we discovered that you had your power hour built already into your day. Because that was your hour in the gym. Yes. So you already had it in place before we even started the week. Yeah, you see, I was was already way ahead. But the thought of like, prioritizing an hour to do the washing just felt like the most disempowering (laughs) practice we've ever done. (laughs) If you feel comfortable sharing, what are some of the practices that you found have sort of backfired like that? Like, actually, it sounds good, but you actually found that really disempowering. Have there been any other ones like that that you feel like, actually, that just didn't land right with me? A really interesting one, which I did not expect, was we did a week of assuming good intent To give it a little bit of context, we had to assume that the other person in our life, if we're having, I don't know, a difficulty with someone, we have to assume they're coming from a good place. So we have to assume that they mean well. And actually, it can be really helpful and really useful. And I do use this with my clients about assuming good intent. But actually, what I found is if you're always assuming that someone is coming from good intention, 
you're kind of enabling a lot of bad behavior. And it's something that I really got very put off just from practicing it full on for a week. Because you ended up saying, I feel like a mug. Yeah, I felt like I was allowing, there was a situation with my husband. I was working all day and he hadn't walked the dog. And it was annoying me because he said he was going to walk the dog, right? So it was a really simple example, but it showed up beautifully. And by four o'clock in the afternoon, I had worked from eight o'clock in the morning. He still hadn't walked the dog. So when I'd finished work, I then had to go and walk the dog and I was really tired and I was really, really annoyed with him about it. And on the walk, I started thinking, okay, so I'm going to assume good intent. What am I assuming here? I'm assuming he's done the right thing. I'm assuming he's coming from a good place. Well, actually, we had an agreement. He knows he needs to walk the dog on a Saturday and it's just not okay. And it felt really wrong to me to just allow that. It's a very small example. And of course, you know, work through it as only a dog. But if that was going to keep showing up in your life, to keep allowing someone to not do something that they said they were going to do, that feels a little bit toxic to me and not very helpful. What didn't you agree? You you kind of felt the same, didn't you? A little bit, yeah. It was a hard week. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I quite like that idea of assuming positive intent. To me, that idea doesn't mean that I don't have any boundaries. It just means that I say, instead of going at someone saying, assuming that it was about me or they were trying to hurt me, I take it to mean like, actually, they probably just got lost up in their dick. doesn't mean I'm not going to hold a boundary and say that's unacceptable. We had a deal. It doesn't mean that. It just means that instead of taking it personally, and I'm going to assume that they forgot that meeting because they don't like me or that I'm not important to them and make it all about me. I'm going to assume that they love me or is all is good, but they just dropped a ball. I'm still going to hold a boundary about it. So that's not cool. Most things are not about you. No. I think that's what we learned is there was a whole bit about, you know, someone doesn't respond to a message that you've sent and you go to this whole place in your head. You start with like, oh, maybe they forgot. And then you go, oh, my God, should I not have said that thing last Wednesday? And then you go to, well, it's always pissed me off about her, about this, that, and the other. You know, (laughs) you can start making all these fantasies up when actually the truth is they forgot. Or or their kid broke their ankle and they're an alien. Or, you know, whatever. But it's not about you. We always always, go to the dark place You do. The drama. The drama. (laughs) But it's very rarely actually about you. And so it is helpful to sometimes, a lot of the time, assume good intent, I think. As Brene Brown, she talks about this a lot as well. And she says, you cannot assume good intent without exactly what you just said, Zoe, without having really strong boundaries in place. That was the two are very, very meshed together, aren't they? So yes. So then I set my boundary with my husband and said, you know what? It wasn't okay that you didn't walk the dog when I'm working all day. I was really upset about that. And we talked about it. We talked it through and it was okay because we're in a healthy, loving relationship. Whereas another friend of mine who was with a boyfriend at the time, and she was allowing a lot of bad behavior, but she was assuming good intent all the time, but it just wasn't working for her because her boundaries weren't in place. Eventually, she put her boundaries in place, and sadly, the relationship had to end. But this constant assuming good intent was not helpful in that respect. It's not always a great thing. Like you said, it has to have a boundary, and it has to be to a certain degree. I think like everything, isn't it? There's always more depth to something. There's always so much nuance. And, you know, so many of the other things that you've talked about feed into that idea don't they it's all linked up do you find that quite hard when you're testing these things to keep it quite singular given how joined up most practices are particularly mindset stuff we normally have a sort of step-by-step guide 
it's a bit of an ask to get someone to listen to a podcast and talk about a huge subject like boundaries or just say no or assume good intent. And then what are they supposed to do? Listen to you talk for 45 minutes and figure out how to do that. So we really like to be very specific and give a step-by-step guide. And that's the guide that we follow. She loves a step-by-step. I, She's uh, a real... I love a step-by-step. I love it. <laughs> You're working in a bit of a vacuum, Well, right? she likes to read a manual. I don't. She likes to follow rules. I don't. I like to disinfect things before I use them, that sort of thing. <laughs> I'm a conformist in the relationship. So I think we do stick to what we're practicing because we have that guide. I don't like to colour outside of the lines when I'm doing a practice. But you do. Well, I do like to colour outside of the lines and I like to push it boundaries a bit because I think they're quite fun. But also our mental practices, exactly what you said, Zoe, they do all mesh. And we come back to boundaries again and again and again and again. And I think boundaries is like the circle around all of these mental practices and in the middle is all the other ones. But they do. They all beautifully mesh and beautifully combine. And actually, once you've practiced one and then another one comes up, they start to become a little bit smoother the more you practice them. So someone's listening and they're thinking that they've just resonated with a lot of what you're saying, particularly about putting themselves at the bottom and finding it really hard and getting guilty when they're trying to do something for themselves. Where would they start? Let's give them that step-by-step guide, Lauren. I would start, and it sounds kind of embarrassing and a bit silly, but we tried it and we both felt like, am I allowed to swear on this podcast? I don't know. But we both felt like complete twats in the beginning, but we did the high five habit. Oh, yeah. I had um, Mel Robbins on the podcast. She was great. Right. Well, we did her high five habit. I cannot believe you are recommending this. because I'm saying where to start. No, this is brilliant. Because if you are stretched for time and you feel like there's too much to do and you can't spend 14 hours journaling every night because (laughs) who really wants to do that? All you've got to do is when you are getting dressed in the morning, high five the mirror. That's it. High five. I'm going to have a good day. Today is going to be positive. Yes. I'm going to change that nappy. Yes. It takes four seconds less right and it's always available to you and it's free and it's quick and it's easy and if you want to start with the most basic thing just start with that let me tell you yeah when I suggested because I'm a massive Mel Robbins fan so when I suggested that we do the high five method oh my god I went mad the moaning the complaining I'm not doing that the resistance so now that she's recommending it it's just brilliant there you go. But Mel, when I spoke to her, she said the same. She was like, when I first started it, she was like, I was really embarrassed. Like, it's really cringy. It is embarrassing. You do feel like a complete idiot. But that's why she says it takes five days. You have to do it for at least five days because it takes five days for that embarrassment. Yeah. yeah. She sort of says it starts with that high five, doesn't it? And then, and then linked to that is being kinder to yourself and noticing that critic is that what you did as part of that practice as well yeah and then that leads into sort of body positivity or as we prefer to say body neutrality and that leads into a bit of self-love and then we did a whole episode where we took ourselves on a date we you did know. we did a, a mini series of self-love so the whole month of february every practice was a self-love practice so one of the practices was the high five method one of the practices was taking yourself out on a date one of them was being your own best friend. That was such a beautiful yeah. practice. Speak to yourself how you would your own best friend. And all of these things that we try and push on the show, especially all the self-love practices, 
They're free, like we said before. They're available to you at any time of the day, any time you choose. They're available to anybody. And any time that you feel that you are beating yourself up, like, no, I cannot read a book. I have to go and do all the washing now and I'm exhausted. No, I cannot have that afternoon nap. The question of, well, what would my best friend say to me right now? And that gives a completely different energy, a completely different answer. It's filled with so much more compassion and love than it would be with your self-critic. Absolutely. Once you're a bit more compassionate towards yourself and you're a little bit kinder to yourself and you stop beating yourself up for absolutely everything, it trickles. It trickles down into everything else until you do reach a place where you go, yep, I am sitting down for half an hour now and I feel fine about it. Or you don't even have that thought process. You just sit down for half. And that's that just repetition, isn't it, as well? I think it's so important to remember that the more that we do something, the easier it does get. And starting is definitely the hardest, isn't it? So of all the things that you sort of learn about self-care, what lesson has been the hardest for you to learn? I know what yours is. Go on. I don't know what mine is. You <laughs> might know what mine is. You might know what mine is. I know what I, mine I, is. Let's answer for each other. Okay. Lauren's hardest one is being vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like any cracks. And if there are cracks, I don't like the cracks to show. But any time that she has been vulnerable and any time that a practice has shown her vulnerability, it's been very transformative and very magical. What is yours? Rest. Oh, yeah, you're a nightmare for the rest. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I can't, I can't. She does like the downtime. It's not for her. Well, it is because I see how important it is. But at the same time, I have all that noise in my head of there's so many more things you could be doing. You could be so much more productive. Stop sitting down. I can't like I can't lay in in the morning. To me, that is the biggest waste of time. To me, that is 100% essential. Yeah. And I know it is. And actually lying in bed for one hour on a Sunday morning would probably do me the world good. Of course. So that's mine. Fascinating. What are you still learning about self-care? Like, what are you not sure of? I think we've got a fairly good handle, but I think what we've learned as it's gone along is how it's progressed is the stuff we really thought we'd be doing and loving is not necessarily the stuff that is helpful to other people. Yeah, I would agree with that. And self-care and wellness is ever-changing and ever-growing. And it's an industry that just, it's an endless well, as we always say, and there's always going to be a new product and there's always going to be a new celebrity that's coming out with the latest thing and Kate Moss last week and now Kourtney Kardashian this week with her new vitamin gummies. I mean, it's just endless. So there's constantly messaging of you need this, you You need need to buy buy this. this. And I am still learning and I still hopefully will always be pushing that self-care costs nothing. Really true self-care costs nothing and it doesn't take up a lot of your time or it shouldn't. And it's not elitist and you don't have to be Gwyneth to do it. And it doesn't have to be something that's very surface level. I mean, what it comes down to, I guess, at the end of it is self-worth, self-love, valuing yourself and just trying to get to a point where you feel your life is in balance. Yeah. And fun. We do have a lot of fun. We do. And I think (laughs) as adults, we often lose that sense of play and fun and It was amazing fun to have a 50 pound bottle of toxic vampire spray. That was brilliant. 
witch, you know, wards off the energy, bad energy vampires, all this nonsense. You, you say that. I sprayed it the other day. You, I, I sprayed it the other my day. My children now use it in the toilet. Say no more. But, um, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. It's very silly. It's fun. We know it's not life changing, but I do think it's important to keep playful. Yeah. Well, play is like, if not my number one thing that I try and access for my self-care, because I find it really hard to be fun and playful and light. I can be really serious. So uh, yeah, that's like one of my number one things that I'm working on around, because I think it's such an important bit of self-care, isn't it? And I always ask the same question at the end, which is if you could give, and obviously I want to answer from both of you, if you could give just one gift to all the mothers in the world, what would that one gift be and why? My one is, it's more of a statement, if that's allowed, it's not a physical gift, but it's self-care is not selfish. And I would really want every mother to know that it is honorable, it is necessary, and it improves your life and the life of everyone else around you. So please take that time for yourself just to invest. It will just improve your life tenfold. The gift I would give first time mothers is the gift of perspective, because I think the firsts are so hard. And it's only with the second and the third and as time goes by that you realise, actually, if they were just in a plain white baby grow all day and then all night, that's okay. <laughs> and yeah, they will cry because they're babies and yeah, teething's hard and then the teeth will come and then it's fine. It's just the perspective of like everything you're going through, that really hard phase you're in right now where you feel you're really at the bottom of the mud pit, it is just a phase. It will pass. And I think that's very hard to hold on to and see when you're in it and very, very easy when you're out of it. But that's the gift I would give, would be to be able to see that. Beautiful. Thank you. And where does someone find the podcast? Presumably it's on all platforms. It's everywhere, Zoe. (laughs) And where does someone find each of you individually? Have you got your own platforms as well? We have our own Instagram handles. There are names. Mine's at Nicole Goodman underscore coach. You can follow us on Instagram at selfcareclubpod. We're on TikTok as well. We're on the YouTube. You're on TikTok? Wowza, wowza. I need to get my TikTok on. We have about six followers, but I am trying with that one. But anyway, and we're on all platforms. We're on YouTube. We're everywhere. You want to hear about self-care? We're always trying out weird and wonderful things and we're always available. Yeah. So at Self Care Club Pod, I'm at Laura Mishcon. Nicole's at Nicole underscore Goodman. Nicole Goodman underscore coach. Thank you. What an incredible conversation. I know people are going to take so much from this. So thank you very much. Thank you so much for having us. It's been a pleasure. So that was the episode. I hope that you really enjoyed it. As ever, if you did, please consider sharing it with your friends and leaving me a review on iTunes. It really does make a difference to the number of mums that we can reach with the brilliant wisdom of the guests I have on.